ESPN's Be Fast and the Fury Post podcast, Tokyo Drift. <laughs> my name is Marissa Lordanik. Thanks for tuning in and indulging me in my dumb jokes. Today, it's me, Anna Harrington, Sam Lewis, and Angela Christian Wilkes, and we're going to be talking through the Japan warm-up game, our expectations for Tokyo, because as of recording, we are six days away from our first game. And we've also got a chat with a special guest at the end of this episode, but let's crack into the match chat and kicking things off. Angela paraphrased Craig David in our rundown, in our rundown rather. She asked, what was the flavour of this game? So, Angela. What was the flavour of Australia's 1-0 loss to Japan? Oh, it was not It was not a spicy meatball, was it? It was, um, I don't think it was particularly salty either, I would say. It was pretty bland. <laughs> I think most people felt that. The, the game was a bit, hmm, I'm, I'm gesturing vaguely with my hands right now. Uh, yeah, there were some opportunities for both sides, I guess, but for Australia it seemed like we struggled to create in that final third Um, and there were moments where Japan were able to get on top of us a little bit more with their possession so yeah Um, and I suppose as well there was a lot of chopping and changing so that was noted in the second half to the formation Um, and it was a game that seemed to be a bit more about experimentation but not not an exciting kind of experimentation I would say I don't I don't know if there were particularly illuminating results from that that game but yeah flavor blend in summary yeah I felt I found it really hard to to get a grip on this game personally I think especially the fact that more than half the team got changed at halftime substitutions wise Sam Kerr came off um for one thing we had the defensive change up clearly it, it was a matter of testing out a few different things it's hard to get I think it's hard to get a real feel on the actual result when you make so many changes and it's just not realistic in terms of what you'd see in a tournament, you're not going to see six, seven players make way at halftime. Um, clearly, it was about testing out more things. Um, again, I think we probably saw a few things that we didn't necessarily like. For example, uh, Ellie Carpenter playing as a centre-back. Um, I think it's something that we hope we won't see going forward once she went to a natural sort of right-back, right-wing-back role after halftime. She just looked so much more involved. Creative, she actually looked pretty gassed by the end of the game, but she just looked like the player that could spark something, riding challenges, just blitzing past players, whipping in good balls, like just the player, like I think just the glimpses that we've been hoping we'd see. I think we've seen every time Ellie Carpenter's has played in her natural position. So, yeah, it's, it, it was a difficult one to get a handle on. The, the penalty uh, was really disappointing. Um, obviously, Alana Kennedy's just... <laughs> sort of flung her arms up and it's all sort of come about by I think her getting dragged out of position in the build-up, just a bit too much space between her and Ellie Carpenter with this back three and wing back sort of formation that was happening. Um, and they've managed to get the ball through. Kennedy's gone to scramble and uh, not really set herself right and, and given away a, a handball that was in a pretty unnecessary area. And, yeah, it was just a, yeah, not the, I'd say not the most thrilling of games. We got a few little glimpses, but nothing too uh, too extraordinary, I think. I didn't feel good at the end of it. I was like, I had to scroll through like Twitter and Facebook and be like, did I, what did I just watch? Did I, did I see the same thing as other people? I'm not really sure. Um, but Harry, like what you said about 
this not being a realistic tournament kind of game, like that huge substitution wave at halftime. I sort of expected this game to, to be more tournament-like. I expected, because, you know, Tony sort of framed this Japan friendly as wanting to experiment for tactics for the New Zealand game. And so because of that, I think maybe I assumed, I guess wrongly, that he would try and make this a really cohesive full 90-minute performance to, to, to really hash out exactly what the game plan is and give the Matildas a single game format in which they would have to execute that plan for the 90 minutes. But it felt like maybe that that wasn't the plan. Uh, he executed maybe some of it in the first half and some of it in the second half. And I, I think maybe that's why I sort of came out the back of it just being like, what is, so what is this? What is this? What are we actually doing? What are we going to look like when we play New Zealand? Are we going to have this back three system with Carpenter and, and Catley tucked in and Rasso and Yellup in wide areas? Or are we going to have the back three system with Kennedy and perhaps, you know, Ivy Lewick on the left and then allowing Ellie and Catley to bomb for like what? I don't actually know what this team is going to look like when we play in the Olympics. Maybe that's why I'm so nervous. Yeah, it's a it's a really difficult one, Sam. Um, can you can you just tell us your summary that you got of this game because it uh it really did make me giggle um, from our friend friend of the pod Dan. Yeah, shout out to friend of the pod Dan who uh, messaged me probably within minutes of the full time whistle and said this game should have been an email. I think that pretty much summarizes <laughs> uh, the vibe <laughs> that the whole game uh, gave off. Absolutely. We've alluded to it a little bit, but we'll kind of go into it a bit more, I suppose. The formation, it was said on the broadcast that it was a 3-4-3. A three, three. We would have the wingbacks kind of providing that attacking width and have the three uh, kind of defenders anchoring the uh, defensive line. What did we feel about it? What were the kind of pros and cons? Do you think we had the right personnel to kind of execute this idea in this formation Hara I'm interested in your thoughts because you did touch on it a little bit in regards to how we use Ellie Carpenter yeah I was interested um, in the second half when we got Grace Gill on commentary um, by her thoughts saying that she was actually really excited by what a 3-4-3 could do for the Matildas um, in terms of I guess attacking potential I think we've talked about it a fair bit in terms of if you throw back to that Melbourne City season a couple of years back where you had the, the back three and wing backs and it was Steph Catley on one wing, Ellie Carpenter on another, and it was super exciting. Like you got that run and gun power. You had a really stable back three um, involving obviously Lauren Barnes and, and Emma Checker. And it was, yeah, it, it worked really well. And I think that's what we've hoped to see when we've seen this lineup. And we've only got little glimpses of it with Ellie Carpenter playing out wide. For me, there seems to be so much potential if we get Carpenter and Catley on the wings, like unleashed to run and gun and whip the ball in and take players on and do what they're best at. So far, we haven't seen that. Um, I think our players have looked decidedly uncomfortable. Um, we know that Claire Polkinghorne and Alana Kennedy have played a lot of football in a back four as more central centre-backs. And Alana Kennedy, of course, spent a fair chunk of her most recent season not playing in defence at all. Um, so I think there's still a lot of teething problems to go there. I think it's a really exciting prospect if we can get the right players in the right positions. I'm not sure how much we've been hampered by it. And we've talked about this in previous pods. Steph Catley and Alana Kennedy. Catley obviously missing a big chunk of the season, coming back from injury, and Kennedy ha- having those little surgeries, I think, at the end of her 
club season and they've both been on sort of limited minutes as we've gone. Like Catley's played the first half and then Kennedy's played the second half. And we haven't really got a full glimpse of what it might be like if you have, say, Polking, even even in the back three, Polking on Kennedy and Catley as Catley as a left-sided centre-back. Like, I think I want to get a glimpse of what it looks like when Kennedy and Catley are, are starting together um, and we haven't really got that. So I think there's there's some potential there, but it hasn't really clicked as yet. Um, there's been some glimpses, but then there's also been glimpses the other way where the players got caught out of position in the lead up to that that penalty last night. So I think it's something that's going to be worth sticking with and trying, but I think it might take a while to actually reap some real reward. Yeah, um, I think I agree with all your points there, Harrod. I think that so that city side does come to mind when we look at this formation with, with Carpenter and Catley. I suppose as well, they also had with that city team, Lewick as the defensive midfield for the bulk of that season. Um, and I think you do need a really composed defensive midfielder there. So I think that's a really important part of the equation as well, um, especially being able to cover, you know, in those situations where perhaps the wingbacks aren't able to get back fast enough or whatever it might be. I feel a lot more secure with the 3-4-3 the three, three than like a standard back four, and I, I definitely prefer it. But it is, as you say, I think getting that consistency and, and making sure that um, we can grow into it and having that opportunity to grow into it a little bit more. Um, I think also I, I wasn't entirely convinced on sort of what how the midfield were meant to be working. I don't have a particularly analytical soccer mind but it did feel like the midfield was a little bit flat at times and we weren't able to sort of um get into good positions to receive with those overloads um which seemed to be the game plan you know bomb down the wing knock it in sort of thing but um yeah so I think that's another interesting area because yeah we do have the talent and um ideally you know we would be having Kathleen Carpenter on those wings in, in, a, in a perfect world. Um, I think also for me, it's also that defensive depth. Who are the, th- who are the three centre-backs and who are we able to rotate in as well regarding any injuries or just, you know, proper game management and that sort of thing. That's sort of the area that's given me a little bit of stress. But, yeah, I'm, I'm a fan. I think the other thing as well that, the discussion about the formation in terms of defenders needs to sort of address is the fact that Carpenter and Catley are also really important attackers. Like we haven't been scoring goals, you know, and the times over the course of these friendlies where we have seemed the most dangerous have been when Ellie Carpenter has been given the freedom to bomb forward and put those crosses into the box. So without that sort of wide overloading attacking influence from having them play wider, we seem to really lack that penetration and the width and the ability to attack in the kinds of ways that I think we've associated with the Matildas for quite a while. Um, And that's the other thing I guess I was really disappointed with in terms of the Japan family is like that was the game where I think we needed to score a couple goals. We needed to show that we could do it with this 3-4-3 formation, but we didn't seem able to. I don't know whether that's just because we're still over-reliant on Sam Kerr, whether it's just because, you know, sometimes you just don't have your shooting boots on and the ball just misses here, there and everywhere. But I I feel like that's going to be the thing that we really need to address. And Gustafsson said as much in the post-match presser as well. He was like, basically everything up until the final third, I was pretty satisfied with, but it's just some technical 
things from our strikers and from our wingers that need a little bit more work. Just that final third stuff, that decision making, the like, and what you do on the ball and how you basically how you kick the ball is the stuff that needs work in the next week heading into the New Zealand game. So, like, I, I have hope for the you know the formation. I I have seen it work in so many teams across the world really beautifully if you have the right players. And if you're able to do it without compensating other areas of the field, that's, I guess, my main concern. Yeah, spot on, Sam. At the end of the day, need to uh, start scoring. <laughs> it's pretty simple. It also takes pressure off, like, as long as you go without. Because I, I felt like after Japan, the pressure really, we really settled into the game. And then uh, <laughs> we very much settled into the game and then really had some really good chances as the first half went on. But couldn't actually make them count. We, you know, Caitlin Ford had a good chance. And then the second half, we saw one where Mary Fowler sort of took a, uh, sort of got the ball trapped under her when she took her initial touch and then still got a shot away. Hayley Razzo had a shot from the middle of the middle, it felt like. like. Just getting that extra bit of composure. I think, yeah, going forward, we, especially Ellie Carpenter, I just think is wasted when she's trapped at centre back. Uh, I, can, I can understand the, the development side of things, similar to Steph Catley, and it provided some real sort of straightening up assurance that we weren't going to get cut up down the middle of the park when we saw that Carpenter could, could cut it, could sort of tuck in. But it was, um, yeah, it's not what we want to see long term. I think Tony would know that. We want to see these players out wide more. We want to see... Yeah, we want to get the best out of these players. I think another thing that I was quite conscious of watching that game was Ivy Lewick not starting because Elise Kellenite is surely just going to be building game time slowly. So Lewick is, based on the friendlies we've seen, looks like our best defensive midfield option. I think they would have been very acutely aware of not her not picking up an injury or picking up too much of a workload ahead of, um, ahead of these games because it's going to be a tight turnaround between games it's going to be hot. Um, we heard multiple references on the broadcast to the players who've been training in full track suits, jumpers and all that in Sweden to get used to the humidity and heat they're going to have in Japan. So I think there are a few decisions last night that were very much based around um, looking after personnel and making sure that they wouldn't get totally burned out. I think we're going to look better if we have Ivy Lewick playing in that defensive midfield role. I think it addresses a bit of what Angela says about the midfield maybe looking a bit flat, lacking a bit of punch. Um, I think we'll look better if we have a genuine sort of holding midfielder working that role or just release the shackles on some of those other players. Because for me, the highlight of the midfield the whole night was when Kara Cooney-Cross went on that absolute barnstorming run, just took on everyone in her wake and then put a really beautiful ball through for Ellie Carpenter, I think it was. And it was just like the sort of stuff that we saw her do at Melbourne Victory and it made you just go, yeah, that's, that's the stuff. That's what we want to see. That's where we can get the best out of players like Kara Cooney Cross. And yeah, that's why I'm hesitant to make too many judgments on what was generally a pretty scratchy night out, just because there were so many changes, so much, so, such a lack of continuity throughout that it's, I found it quite difficult to make decisions. The big thing that I can take out of that is what Sam said, though, is we've got to show up against New Zealand, have to beat New Zealand. And it's not only just having to beat New Zealand to get off to a good start in this group, it's getting that first win on the board under Tony. We mentioned it a few weeks back and it, it just becomes even more important now. And I know New Zealand haven't played a heap of football in the last you know few months, but they're going to be up for it. And we're going to have to be up for it and we're going to have to get our goal scoring boots on. So I think the general consensus is 
it was a weird one. But what positives can we actually take from this game from 2021 looking ahead to Tokyo? Sam, what are you kind of like, no, I actually feel pretty good about X. I'm feeling pretty good about Tegan Micah. Um, she only played the first half, but I still think that she had another ripper. She didn't concede, uh, you know, which is great, coming off the back of not conceding uh, for the entire game against Sweden. Um, she made a couple of really good saves as well. There was that one save that she sort of poured away, which would look like it was going to be looping in at the far post. Um, there we go. That's us. That's, That's us. us. <laughs> Um, and I, I just feel really, I feel really comfortable and confident with her when I see her in goal. There was maybe one one moment where she almost got tackled because um, she sort of lingered on the ball with her at her feet for a little bit too long. But I think that's maybe just a bit of nerves, a little bit of inexperience. That's fine. She'll be able to get through that. So I really hope that she gets a run against a New Zealand or a Sweden because we've seen, we've seen that she can show up against a Sweden. Um, but it was also good, I think, seeing Williams back in goal as well. We didn't see her at all in any of the other friendlies. Um, we know that she's sort of had a topsy-turvy kind of time at Arsenal, um, didn't get as much game time as she wanted to. But I think she like she made some excellent saves as well. There was that tip to, to put a shot just over the crossbar, a couple of other really important saves, even though she probably should have got punished a little bit more for that handball outside the box, which gave away a free kick towards the end of the second half. That was a little bit... Ah! Um, but other than that, I was pretty impressed with the, the goalkeeping performances. So that's a positive that I'll take to Tokyo. I think the kids, again, I, I agree with Sam on both goalkeepers. I, both, I thought they both looked generally pretty assured, apart from <laughs> Lids's uh, near miss outside the box, where I think if it wasn't a friendly, she probably would have copped uh, a fair bit more punishment than the free kick that got given away. But I thought the just, I was excited again by Kara Cooney Cross and Mary Fowler, like, not complete performances, but the glimpses you see, uh, some of the work rate. One thing that I saw in Fowler that we didn't maybe see in those first couple of friendlies was the work to press and defend, and um, that's something she's clearly improved upon. She got away a couple of shots. Um, She always looks like she's dangerous and can always create something, and those players are so much fun to have in your team. Like even if there's not too much going on, you feel like if she can get in the right position, she can get a shot away or she can score or she can create something, which is super exciting. And I think as she grows in confidence, she'll only get better. And I think Kara Cooney-Cross will be better for the run as well. Like she's learning more and more about playing, I think, these slightly more defensive roles in midfield. And well, as I said earlier, I think she's going to be at her best when you can sort of, much like Ellie Carpenter, unleash the shackles and just let her go. Uh, She'll benefit a lot from having to do this extra bit of grunt work and learning and combining. And I think that's another thing that's important for us to be aware of with uh, these games is as much as we mentioned all the personnel changes is a fair few players who wouldn't have played a heap together. Tegan Michael will still be getting the hang of that defence. Playing in that midfield, playing in that different formation, there's still clearly a lot to come together. But yeah, I think I was once again excited by what these couple of young kids in Fowler and Cooney Cross can bring to the table. They just they just bring something fun, something refreshing, and it wasn't there all the time last night. And I think that was pretty, you know, across the board. Will maybe a, a bit flat, but yeah, I, I'm still excited about what they can bring heading into these games. I don't know. Yeah, I was very impressed by Fowler, and I think um, so. Yeah, her like ability, or you know what's the inclination to take shots from far out is really great. And I think that's um, 
hopefully as she she works on that a bit more, that will be a really powerful outlet for us. Um, her and Emily Van Egmond, I think Van Egmond's done that in the past, but she wasn't completely on last night. She was looking for him. Um, and I think, I don't know, I just basically copying Harry here, I think Ellie Carpenter had a fantastic game. And I think sometimes um, we just don't mention her because she's good, you know, and we know that she's good, but yeah, she's, um, her consistency is, is really good to see as well. And I suppose as well, just add, I'm listing names now, but like Claire Polkinghorn, she's always good. And it's so nice to have a defender with her expertise going into a tournament like this, um, especially in, in defense. So um, I'm keen to see what sort of impact she's going to make on this, on this tournament as well. No doubt it will be a good one. All right. So that's the Japan game. Let's actually talk about Olympics expectations, predictions, things of that nature. So first of all, I'm going to put you all on the spot here. One word answer. Are we making it out of the group? Yes or no? Harrow? Yes. Angela? Yes or no? Are we making it out of the group? Yes. Samantha? Are we making it out of the group? Yeah. All right, cool. Love it when we're in unison. How delightful. But now, all right, let's actually talk about... How far are we progressing? What are we kind of imagining goes down in these next three games? Because we've got five games worth of evidence basically in 2021 under Tony to base our opinions off, but what are we actually expecting in the tournament and how far do we actually think this team can go? Sam, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, so I think this is the big question that uh, everyone who's going to be watching the Matildas needs to ask themselves. And I wrote my uh, my Guardian analysis piece today based around expectations. Um, what we need to keep in mind is that we are now, like the Matildas are now playing in a context that has changed. It has changed from the context in which we have formed the expectations around the Matildas. And we're affected by that as much as anybody so when we think about how far the Matildas can go in this tournament, we need to think about the kinds of opponents they're playing, what circumstances their opponents have been playing in recently, um, the kinds of players that are involved in those teams and the kind of trajectory that we could or could not go on based on various permutations in various groups. So because of that, taking trying to take all of that into account, I think the Matildas are maybe a little bit undercooked for this tournament. I think they're still getting used to things. They're still getting used to these systems as we've seen over the course of the, the friendlies. They're still getting used to each other. They're still trying to figure out the nuts and bolts of how Tony wants them to play. And I think the Olympics has just come a little bit too soon for them to be able to make a really serious statement, uh, particularly if you compare them with the likes of a Netherlands or uh, a Canada who are also doing very well, or obviously a USA. These are teams that have been playing together for a long time. They've had consistency. They've had results. They know what their style is. They know what they want to do. So coming up against teams like that, I don't think we're going to do especially well. If we make it to the semi-final, I think that'll be an achievement. I don't think that we're going to make a podium finish, but that's okay because that is not the goal. The goal here is 2023, right? I think a lot of us are in agreement about that. That is our ultimate goal. We want to do as well as we can at the World Cup on home soil. And this is the start of that long-term project. So if we get to the semi-final, awesome. If we get beyond that, even more awesome. But I just think we need to keep our, our expectations a little bit tempered and keep context in mind. I think Sam said exactly what I would like to say. I think we're, it's very early in the journey. One thing I really want to say is just some of the turnovers get cut out just 
forgot to mention it in the earlier analysis. I think that's the sort of stuff that we can clean up relatively quickly. Um, but I agree, it's, it's so early in this journey and it does feel like the pieces are still coming together. We mentioned earlier in terms of the formation, in terms of it's not been a consistent starting eleven. I think it's going to be hard to judge until we see what happens against New Zealand. I think get a good win against New Zealand. I think that can really inspire a lot of confidence and just sort of maybe kickstart things a bit. Uh, it's hard when you haven't had that result. They got the draw, obviously, against Sweden, which was important in terms of getting a result. But I think get a win against New Zealand and that will inspire some confidence that they can take into the Sweden game, take into the USA game. But it's true. Like this team has not been together well, they weren't together for nearly 400 days until a few months ago, and they've only played five games together. So it's going to take time for all these things to settle in. There's been personnel that have been limited through injury or limited minutes. Even, obviously, Ellie Carpenter and Chloe Legazzo missed all those games. Like, it's um, – Legazzo missed all the games, sorry, and Carpenter missed the first couple. So there's still a lot to come together. Um, semifinals would be a great result podium would be huge and that would be off the back of making I think a actual genuine surprise run um but I think it's one where they've just got to go for it and see how far they can go um I with Sam I think it'll be very difficult to get a podium finish despite what maybe some expectations um at home here in Australia may be um I think it's unlikely given the quality and maybe the consistency and uh the cohesion of some of the opponents that Australia could face. And I think the luck of the draw may play a, a bit too in terms of how far we go. So, yeah, I expect improvement and I expect us to see more and more glimpses and more things strung together throughout games as we go. But I don't think realistically you can have expectation that we're going to be one of the contenders. I think, yeah, um, quarterfinals, I really hope we get to them, get out of the group. Great. Um, don't think semis are going to happen. But for me, I think if we can watch this squad and see those improvements, that will be the most important thing. If we come out of this looking the same, that's going to be, what is it? Failure seems like a strong word, but like that, that will be a disappointment more so than if we don't get a medal or anything like that. But yeah, Sam and Anna covered it pretty comprehensively. So, you know, in agreement there. Also want to see Sam Kerr score some goals. I feel like there's always so much expectation around her. And naturally, as Sam mentioned before, the issues with goal scoring, creating goals, your, your leading goal scorer is probably going to be the one to suffer most when you're not creating guilt edge chances. So hopefully, I think New Zealand is a great opportunity to really go out there and attack and get the skipper rolling, and get her back, get her scoring boots back on. And um, I think that inspires a lot of confidence too when she's up and about. Cool. Can I ask one question that I, I'm curious to hear for Angela and Sam? We know that the squad went from 18 to 22. It's obviously given us more flexibility. We've got those extra names, Mackenzie Arnold, Courtney Nevin, Laura Brock and Charlie Grant. Um, Charlie Grant taking Sam Kerr's number 20, uh, which is quite funny. How much do you guys think we'll actually see these players? Because when we heard the USA, uh, I guess Flacco with the USA talk about his team, he clearly wanted a 22-player squad. It seems like all these teams wanted it. We didn't see any of those four, plus Elise Keller Knight, take the field. Do we think we will see them in the Olympics? I would like, like, I don't know if this is going to happen, um, given that she hasn't really played that much, but I think um, making the most of Laura Brock being in that regular squad will be really important if we're going to progress with this 3-4-3 formation. So I think hopefully that she will be used. Not so sure about the other three, um, I think, I don't want to be too rude, but I think Mackenzie Arnold, 
sort of showed in the lead up that just kind of blows it under pressure. I'm not sure if you would want to be throwing her in just for the sake of it because you've got her available um, in, in these group stage games. But, um, and the other two, I don't expect to see them play a lot, but it's good to know that we have that depth in case anything comes up. So, yeah, Brock, yes, I hope so, and I, I think so as well. Sam? Yeah, I agree with Angela. I think of all the alternates that we have now, Laura Brock is probably the one I'd be most comfortable seeing getting more minutes. I think the inclusion of Courtney Nevin and Charlotte Grant are largely sort of injury slash minutes, minute replacements. You know, Ellie Carpenter is probably one of the two or three players who could get 90 minutes, 90 minutes, 90 minutes, 90 minutes, because she's an absolute machine. But at some point, she's probably going to need a rest. And the best like-for-like -like replacement for Anneli Carpenter, to me, is a Charlotte Grant. They play very, very similar styles. They're both extremely athletic. Um, they're very good defenders in wide areas. They can do all that sort of stuff. And Courtney Nevin, in a similar sort of way to Steph Catley, though I think there's a, perhaps a, a bigger gap there um, than there is between Grant and, and, and Carpenter. So, yeah, I don't expect either of those two fullbacks to get a huge amount of minutes, maybe tacked on to the ends of a couple of games if those wider fullbacks need a rest. But I'd like to see Laura Brock given a, a couple more um, serious look-ins, I think. Maybe part of it is that you know, there have been some photos sort of circulating of her knee being quite heavily strapped, so maybe she's carrying something, and that's why we, why we haven't really seen much of her. But, yeah, you're right, Angela. I think if we, if we want to go ahead with this back three, I think bringing Brock in with a, a Polkinghorn and a Kennedy or a Catley, um, it feels more secure to me. But I also agree with, with the the call on Mackenzie Arnold. I think she played a way out of contention in those friendlies. I agree with all that stuff. I think Laura Brock, um, if she's fit, should be in the mix. Um, I think Courtney Nevin's exciting in terms of versatility and maybe could potentially be a, a centre-back option in the future in a back three. It's where we would have loved to have had a, have a fit Carly Ross back, and to be honest, but such is life. Um, and I agree, Sam, Charlie Grant, I think looms as more maybe a soak up the minutes, can run and gun, go, 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 go option. Um, but I think it's exciting that we've got that extra defensive depth and that we can call on it because I think if we just had the 18, we'd be looking a bit thin. I think also the scheduling um, makes things a little bit trickier as well because we're at, from for mine, I feel like we're building in difficulty with each game so when we're playing when we're playing with the USA you want to make sure that you've bedded everything down you've got that consistency and you know what's happening in Sweden and New Zealand which gives less space for experimentation as well perhaps we were playing Sweden or New Zealand after the USA it might be a different story but yeah double thumbs up everyone I think there's also an element of just in the broader context We've got the Matildas at a major tournament. We've been starved of a major tournament for, like, a while now. So all the anxiety but also the potential elation and heartbreak, it's just so cool that we're, you know, very, very close to getting stuck into that. So can't wait for it. And we also can't wait to see this woman in Tokyo. We're very, very lucky today to be joined by Tegan Micah live from Japan. So... Thank you, Tegan, so much for joining us today. You're live from Japan in your hotel room. You've had the game against Japan last night. What did you make of it? You played the half. How did you think you went? 
Yeah, I mean, it, it was a good game. It was a different game to the previous ones that we've played, obviously, because Japan is so technical, love to keep the ball. So uh, we knew that that was going to be the game that we we're going to face. And um, I felt like, you know, the girls, we, we do have heavy legs as well. We've had a, a big, big uh, few weeks in camp and stuff. But, you know, it's always good to play on those heavy legs sometimes. And then when you do feel fresh, it's better. But, um yeah, I think it was a good hit out for us. I think it was really important for us to get a good 90-minute match in and kind of get used to what it's going to feel like. Um, tournaments are going to be close like that, nil all, and then it's decided by one little moment, um, and especially also with the heat. So it was it was a good, good hit out for us, definitely. How did you feel, Tegan, in your debut against Sweden, I, I imagine all the emotions would have been sort of pumping around. Were you nervous? Were you excited? And how long did it take you to sort of settle into that game and start to feel comfortable? Yeah, I think in the warm up and in the day as a whole, I think I felt more excited. I, there was some nerves, but I was definitely more excited to, it was kind of like, just get it over with. And, and I think the excitement was to just, you know, get the debut out the way. And especially as a goalkeeper and, and, and Sam had said it, like, I, I think it was the 30th goalkeeper to be captain. And it's just so much harder as a goalkeeper. You, you can be in the squad for years and, and still not have played, whereas field players can come in and, and kind of just get it over with straight away. Um, so for me, I kind of always felt like that monkey on your shoulder, like it's there, but it's not there. Uh, and then in the national anthem, I was just thinking, oh, my goodness, this is taking forever, like having to wait for all the proceedings and stuff. Um, and then as soon as I, I think I got my first touch, I was like, OK, it's just another game. And then after that, I didn't really care too much for it. It was just, just play. Yeah. Has that, um, I guess, affected how you're going to be going into the Olympics personally? And also, what are your expectations of yourself heading into the Olympics? Are you hoping to get some serious minutes under your belt? I mean, obviously it's always nice to get minutes uh, and especially because it's an Olympic tournament, that's massive. I think any way I can help the, t the team is a success for me, whether that's, you know, off the, on the bench, um, you know, pushing Lydia, um, whether it's me playing, I think that's a success as well. Um, so I'm just trying to kind of navigate, you know, in those last six months I feel like I've gone from a definite three to you know pushing um for game time so I'm still trying to navigate that as well yeah how have the past few months been for you Tegan especially since Tony's come on board obviously new coach fresh opportunities you've fought your way in and you you would have worked you've worked alongside Macca and Lids for a long time now how have you found working under Tony because clearly this is where you've had your breakthrough as well yeah I think since Tony coming in you know, I, I missed out on the first camp with him. I just had knee surgery. I was about to get knee surgery. So I think these last few months for me have just been crazy. I went from thinking, oh, my goodness, like I'm having my first knee surgery and having all, all those emotions. And then within a month and a, a week, I had my international debut, which is just crazy. So I've really enjoyed working with Tony. And I think for me, it's not just about like him as a coach. It's for me, it was like, I put in the work all throughout the year. So now it's just showing and, you know, I'm glad that he's given me the chance and then it was up to me, you know, it's a coach move your chance, but you know, you have to go out there and perform. So I'm glad I was able to do that. And yeah, I really do enjoy working with him as well. 
and I know you've worked with John Gosler, the goalkeeping coach, for a very long time. And obviously there was a big embrace when you had your debut. How special was that? Because it seems like there's been a lot of hard work put in between you guys. Yeah, I think that was, it was, it was quite emotional for sure. He has been my keeper coach since I was 11 or 12, so my very first goalkeeper coach. So I think that was quite emotional um, for the both of us, even though we tried to hide it a bit. Um, and, you know, it was nice that he was there. He's always probably been one of my toughest critics because he knows me the best. Um, so to have that debut and him be there and him, you know, warm me up and stuff, it kind of it, it fell full circle for us both, I think. And Tegan, how useful do you think your pathway has been to reach this point? You came through the US college system, which is something that not a lot of Australian players necessarily think about. How important was that couple of years in college for you and building your game? I think massive. I think I wouldn't be here playing football if I didn't go to America. I was struggling a lot before I left. I didn't know if I really wanted it. And I I have said it so many times and I say it to my parents, like if I didn't go to America, I, I and in my heart think I would have quit and played AFL. So I think going to America kind of saved me in that way and just reignited the love for the game. And, and you play so many games, um, you know, Thursday, Sunday, each week, and, and you get that momentum and, and that's the best thing for development. You can train as much as you want. You can train with the best players in a W League environment, but if you're not playing, you're not, not going to get better. Like you have to be playing and being put in those situations. So for me, it was a, a lifeline in terms of a football career and I can't recommend it enough for young people to go over there and get your degree and play in with the best facilities and top colleges yeah what is it about college team like you played at UCLA which is a top college can you give us a bit of an insight into I guess the standard we know there were some big games big sorry big names that you came up against in college and also guess I guess just in terms of maturity and growing up as a player, especially as a goalkeeper goalkeepers take a bit longer what yeah can you give us a bit of an insight into what it does beyond playing just so many games I think one thing that I really noticed was it opened my eyes to a lot of different players. I think when I was just playing in Australia, we have a quite a small player pool um, in terms of people coming through and, and W League and stuff compared to America, like on a scale. America's just got so many players playing there. So it really opened my eyes thinking like, wow, there is so much more talent out there. And then you start to compare yourself with other people and you verse different people and you verse different structures of playing whereas Australia can get quite, you know, we have the same curriculum across all teams, whereas in America, like, some teams like to keep the ball, some teams like to be very direct, and you, and you get exposed to those different things at a young age, and you learn how to deal with that, especially as a goalkeeper, that, that's different playing styles that you have to adapt to. Um, and in terms of maturity, I think off the park as well, it helps massively because you go through such a critical age, 18, 21 22 that's such a critical age to learn how to live away from home like get your study get your degree in and learn how to like work as a team because you're always in a team you're always with those people and you're also meeting other really cool athletes like UCLA there's just phenomenal athletes whether it's like the gymnasts the basketball players and they all go on to do phenomenal things as well so I think it's such a 
an interesting like time in your life but it's also like everyone's there doing it together so you can like learn and bounce off each other so much and it's just yeah it helps so much really yeah in that decision to go to college was there anyone that you were talking it through with or was there a moment where you're like yes this is the right thing for me to do because it is you know a big move and as you said at a young age and you're learning so much alongside learning how to be a professional athlete as well so yeah I guess any sounding boards in your life yeah like um I (laughs) for so long I didn't want to go to America and that was the stigma it was like if you go to America you go to college you're out of the national team like out of sight out of mind kind of thing and that was that was it and for me I was at Wanderers at the time Western City Wanderers and there was two players Carmelina Moscato and Keelan Winters and another player Demi Kulazaka she was getting scouted for Texas Tech so the coach was over there and we we're just in the warm-up and I was just saying like this guy from UCLA always messages me and I had my <laughs> I just had no clue like how big UCLA was how big the college system was I was so naive I just thought this guy is always messaging me telling me to come over and in my head I was like I'm never going to make Matildas if I do that and then it kind of just clicked as I said I wasn't too sure about soccer and I had done under 20s but I certainly wasn't good enough for the Matildas at that age so we have that huge gap and I was like well you know I wanted to study as well and then those those two players had turned around and said to me like what are you doing if I I could go back to college I would go to UCLA like call him and at I was like 18 so them saying that to me I, I like went home and called him back and we spoke for like an hour and a half on the phone and within a month I like signed my scholarship because I was like, you know what, if I don't like it after a year, you can go home. Um, so, and then I absolutely loved it. And then I just stayed. So yeah, for me, it was, I had been scouted for a long time, but I had been knocking him back for so long thinking not, not going to make Matilda's, but you can, and there's different pathways for different people. And I think I've, I hope that I've, made people aware of that now speaking of pathways Tegan are you where you thought you'd be at this stage of your career sort of sounding like you're almost surprised that you've sort of accelerated as quickly as you have particularly over the last six months I think over the last six months yes definitely I think I'm I'm still trying to grasp that um in a way it surprised me, but in a way it doesn't because I know how hard it worked and I've had lots of different coaches influence me over this time and spent a lot of time away from home and, and things like that. So all those things are, I feel like I'm getting rewarded for, but I'm still just trying to keep my feet on the ground. Honestly, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. I suppose I'm kind of similar to that. We were talking beforehand. I said, it's so funny because we've obviously been watching you in the W League this season. We saw you play at Bentley Stadium and in Faulkner in like the northern suburbs of Melbourne. And now you're at an Olympics. Have you kind of wrapped your own head around that? Because we're sitting here like, that's amazing. Faulkner, you know, it's not a good ground. And now you're playing at like Tokyo Stadium. Have you kind of absorbed that, I suppose, rise? Um, yeah, I think it is kind of crazy when you put that into perspective but for me it's just it's just been stepping stones like I knew go home have a good W League season 
Um, and then I knew that I'd need to find a club in between and I did that and I was at Sunviken um, to fill the gap and get some games. And I think that was also really helpful for me post knee surgery as well to get those games in. And then, yeah, I feel like it's just been like ticking. I had the plan in my head, but I think as an outsider perspective, it will probably be crazy. But for me, it's just, it's just been planned the whole time. And just what's next, Tegan? Uh, sticking around in Europe post these Olympics? Yeah, I think it should get announced soon, but I will be sticking around in Europe. I won't be able to go back to the W League, unfortunately, but I think that's just the decision we have to make now. Um, so, yeah, I'll be around in Europe at least until the World Cup, which I'm excited for. Thank you so much, Tegan. We can't wait to watch you absolutely smash it in Tokyo and hopefully we can have another chat to you soon, but good luck and we'll all be cheering you on in Tokyo. Yeah, no worries. Thank you so much, guys. Yes, so thank you so much for tuning in today. Obviously, we are going to have a whole heap of Olympic stuff coming your way, so we can't wait for that to get into your ears. Remember, we're on espn.com.au and the ESPN app. You can find us on Spotify, Google, Apple. You can subscribe so that all of our Olympic stuff will pop up straight in your feed. If you like it, definitely leave us a review. If you want to chat to us throughout the Olympics, tell us what you're thinking and feeling. We're at the Far Post Pod on social media. But until next time, go Tillies and see us. <laughs>